You're drowned by my perfect fire. That'd be awesome. So I'm gonna count it down in three, two, one. Hello, everybody. You are listening to the Word and the Ale podcast. We are the Lanky Guys. My name is Scott Powell. And I'm Father Peter Mosett. And we're coming to you live today from Drogo's Coffee Bar in Boulder, Colorado at the St. Thomas Aquinas Catholic Center. Which and, is awesome. and I'm totally nervous. Like, everybody's looking at me. Like, you guys don't even know. Like, we talked to, like, what, 7,000 of you at once? And I never have to see you all, except for, like, right now. And so you're, you're like, looking at me. It's kind of like, messing with me. I feel me. like you always downplay our numbers a little bit. Yeah, dude, I... Yeah, we're you, somewhere... You there's, play, like, there's, like, seven to 10,000 of you out there. So um, if you guys are listening for the first time or hanging out here in the coffee shop for the first time... Listening to the link, you guys, what we do is we take the four Sunday readings. People kind of forget there's four. So we got an Old Testament reading, the first reading, the psalm that we all sing, the second reading from the New Testament, and the gospel reading. And Father Peter and I try to find the common thread that ties them all together and brings well, that's life what, to this. That's what Scott does. That's I what actually, I do. I you just, just sit there and make fun of me. I just try to find good 80s quotes out of the scriptures is really my, like, that's my job. That really is your job. <laughs> I know. It's disturbing. Somebody was, um, was talking the other day about how they were like, oh, man, Scott has so many great points and it's good that you're on the podcast <laughs> it is good you're on the podcast yeah, otherwise i'd just be talking boringly yeah to no one well i tell them do you guys know the origin story do they know the origin story of lanky guys who are you talking to these As, guys are the ten thousand other people um yes yeah you guys do you guys know the origin story basically what happens is that, is that scott is really smart with the scriptures and so i was saying to myself um i was like scott has so much intellectual investment and study. I just want him to like record something for me and then I can listen to it as I'm doing my work. So, so that I can kind of have a leg up on studying, just have, you know, delegate some study. Why not? You know, it's a modern age. And then, uh, but he would like record them and they were so terribly boring. <laughs> that, that I, that I, I thought was, they were not. I, th I thought they were exciting. Uh, that's right. <laughs> and, and, and then I was like, well, why don't we do it together? And then it'll be, and then it'll make me study and then we'll have a good time. And then, yeah. then we started this Havarim. Havarim is a collection of people who get together to study the scriptures because we should not actually ever just be alone because, no. um, you know, it's not that good to be alone. No, it's not. And you get into a lot of error if you're alone. That's true. You get into a lot of error together sometimes as well. But <laughs> um, two shout outs before we, we, sh we jump in. Three, because um, I got a one. Well, mine might be one of the same. Oh. So first of all, a shout out just to the Drogo's Coffee Bar. You can hear um, coffee grinders and espresso makers going on in the background, which I love. I think it's some of the best background music. Um, this is a great place. If you guys are anywhere near Boulder, Colorado, come down to 1520 Euclid. We're right across Broadway from the University of Colorado campus. Um, awesome coffee shop. We have some of the best coffee in town, Ozo Coffee, right here in Boulder. Um, it's great stuff. Brianna Lawson, uh, Brianna Fitzpatrick. Boom. Who runs the show, kind of helped design the place. Um, it's awesome stuff. So we're recording live here as part of the grand opening celebrations for Drogos, which is super cool. I also want to point out in the background, you guys who listen to the podcast, you hear it every week, but we've got it playing in the background is my buddy Dave Wilton and his band A Boy and His Kite, who does our theme music every week. So we got it playing in the background. Really sweet stuff. He is an awesome, good, holy man. He lives out in Lafayette. So if you don't know about A Boy and His Kite, you should check it out because it's awesome. Yeah. What do you, what do you got? I just forgot to shout out my aunt who <laughs> happened to sit behind me on the plane randomly the other day. And so I was like, I, I just, it, it was amazing. I was sitting there and I was like, yeah, I was talking to this guy next to me and I said, Hey, I, I grew up in Montclair 
And the voice behind me said, Peter? And I was like, I turned around. And I was like, Donna. So I stood up at the plane. And I was like, everybody, that's my aunt. We didn't plan this. This is amazing. You stood up on the plane and oh, announced it? Oh, yeah, totally, dude. It was like, and my hair looks like it does right now. Nice. Which is like, imagine just this hair standing up on a plane, which is just amazing. That's a good shot for the, the, the length. I'm surprised they didn't kick you off the plane. Oh, yeah. I'm surprised they didn't either. So, well, All right. today, let's get into it. So we are approaching the end of the world, so to speak. As we get closer to Advent in the church's liturgical calendar, the, the readings that we get, especially the gospel, get more and more about the end times and the end of the world and all sorts of dark, kind of grim stuff, which is kind of freaky. So we're, you can see that in the readings this week for sure. So our first read, we're in the 33rd Sunday of Ordinary Time. Again, we're, we're closing in on Advent. 33rd Sunday of Ordinary Time. Our first reading is coming from the book of Daniel, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Our responsorial psalm is Psalm 16, uh, 5, and then 8 through 11. But I don't know how it's broken up because I don't, I never know. And then our response is from one. <laughs> that's true. Sort of, but a weird translation of one, but that's a different subject. That's, that's not our issue. Okay. Our second reading, it is, it's always our issue. <laughs> second reading is from the book of Hebrews. We're in a coffee shop. So, Father Peter, how does Moses make his coffee? He brews it. Oh, okay. oh thanks, dude. That, felt, that was Scott, so good. Scott Fowl laughed. Thank you, Scott. <laughs> thanks, Scott. All right. Our second reading is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 11 through 14. And then randomly thrown in there is verse 18. Which is <laughs> funny to me. And then, um, and then Mark 13, 24 to 32. The, the question biblique. The eschatological discourse, the es- as it's called. Yeah, also known as. He's, he's a little bit more technical than me. That's how, that's how it goes. The though. end, man. Thank you guys for coming. Have a wonderful day. <laughs> we'll, see <Enjoy> your- <laughs> we'll see you later. You no. know, do you know that you do that almost every single time now? I stole it from Car Talk. Oh. Those, those guys always made that joke. and I Frickin' Frack? What, is that, is, what was the guy's no, name? That's right. It's yeah. Frickin' Frack. Who's Frickin' Who's Frack in this click, one? Click is and the, Clack. Is click and Clack. Uh, oh. See, there we go. I can never get anything right. It's all right. So Daniel, yeah, Father talk, Peter. You won't be heard. It's okay. Yeah. They can, they can actually respond out there. Can you believe that? Who's it's, responding? These I guys? Mean, yeah, the audience. They can. I know. It's kind of freaking me out. I'm trying not to make eye contact. They're <laughs> <laughs> all looking at me. Uh, yeah. it re- this really is sort of disconcerting to be yeah. just in the middle of a coffee shop. Some people... Watching intently, other people sipping on their cappuccinos. It's Kate kind of e- Kate Ebler giving me the evil eye over there. In the <laughs> Dude, oh, no. so tell me about Daniel. Let's give, <laughs> give me some context on Daniel here. All right, Daniel. A um, little bit about the book of Daniel. Daniel is Daniel's a really weird book. It is technically speaking one of the prophets, one of the Old Testament prophetic books. Um, but it doesn't read like a prophetic book. It reads more like a narrative. Most of the prophets just kind of have these lists of oracles and warnings and all these different things. Daniel's a narrative, and, and we all sort of know a lot of the stories from Daniel. So here's who Daniel was. Daniel was a big shot, um, kind of an upper crust society in Jerusalem when Jerusalem was sacked and destroyed by the Babylonians around, what, 586. So in what we call the exile. So Jerusalem is destroyed and Babylon's immigration policy was they just took the best, the people who they wanted, and put them in jobs in Babylon, and then they killed everybody else. So Daniel they liked. Which is good imperialism, really. <laughs> that is solid imperialism. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they took Daniel up, and he actually he got this job working in the courts of the king, of King Nebuchadnezzar. He was a big deal in the courts. So he literally gets a front row seat to watch, basically, how God allows Babylon to 
obliterate Jerusalem and do all these things and sort of institute the punishment for being totally unfaithful to everything that God had asked them to be and to do over the course of time. And he makes it clear, you know, you've trampled down the poor, you've closed everybody out, you've, you've created boundaries around yourself, you've put yourself on a pedestal, you've, you've worshipped other gods, you've killed, you've slandered and slaughtered and all sorts of stuff. So, slandered. Slandered and slandered. Yeah. Um, so Daniel's hauled off into Babylon and he's trying to figure out, the, the problem with the book of Daniel is trying to figure out how to be a faithful person in the midst of an unfaithful culture and in the midst of a foreign mm. place where nothing feels like home. And I actually can't practice my faith in the way that I know how to practice my faith. I don't have a temple anymore. There's no priesthood. There's no anything. So the equivalent is trying to imagine if, if you're a Catholic, how do you be a Catholic if every church was destroyed, every priest is gone, there's no mass, there's no sacraments, no baptism, no Eucharist. Okay, now figure out how to be a good Catholic. That's the challenge. And you're like, well, what do I do? The so, word of the Lord. And he would literally... Yeah. <laughs> Thanks be to Thanks God. Be to I mean, God. that's like, I love that. But yeah, but how do would, you do that? Well, he would literally sit in the castle or whatever they had up in Babylon, and he would point his body toward where <laughs> Jerusalem and the temple used to be at the time when they used to offer sacrifices and he would pray. And he'd be like, it used to be there. I'm going to offer my prayer in that direction. And it's, it's this profound story, and, and there's all these stories about... Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and, and Abednego? Yeah, we're praying it in the office right now, actually. Oh, are we? Yeah. That's convenient. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, there's these mo- moments where... And, and we're where not talking about Beastie Boys song either, in case you're wondering. Is there a Beastie Boys song? Yeah, yeah, it's Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Really? Yeah, for Paul's boutique, so that's okay. Fair enough. Two See, of you know what we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. <laughs> But there's that great story where Daniel and his friends are challenged by King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, you have to bow down and worship me. Consider me a god. And they say, no, we won't. So he throws them into this den of lions. And they say, we pray that God's going to protect us. And he does. And it's this miraculous story. And then just after being thrown in a pit of lions and beasts, Daniel has this weird dream that night about a bunch of beasts coming out of the sea, which is not coincidental if you just came out of a pen with lions. Yeah. So he has these series of dreams in Daniel, which are really fascinating about... All of these different beasts or statues that kind of come out up out of the sea that represent these foreign nations that are going to rule the world, oppress the people of God until the time that the Messiah comes. And he basically gives you this very specific historical outline of all of the nations that are going to basically be the rulers of the earth, the superpowers from Babylon to Persia to Assyria to Greece to Rome up until the time that the Messiah actually comes. And he gives us a roadmap. The book of Daniel, the reason it's so profoundly important for Christians is that it gives us an explicit roadmap of what to look for if you're expecting the Messiah to come. So, Which is why when Jesus showed, and the, it, we don't want to get into this, but there's even a timeline. He gives you the exact frame of years, 490 years plus 70 years of when you should be expecting this, which is why when Jesus actually shows up, I mean, if you know the history, there are literally hundreds of people claiming to be Messiah when Jesus is around. The generation before that, nobody was claiming to be Messiah. Generations after that, nobody's claiming to be Messiah because everybody knew when he was going to show up based on Daniel's prophecies. Yeah, and Daniel, like they have, I mean, he was kind of the Michael Crichton of the age. Like, he was just, everybody, I mean, there's tons of copies of the book of Daniel all over the place. And and so essentially kind of what you're saying. I think you're dating yourself. I think I am too. And um, But what, what essentially you're saying is that Daniel gave a, kind of clear map of the spirit animals that we can expect that are going to lead up to the uh, to the Messiah. Right. Yeah, okay. I just wanted to make sure that that's what you yeah, were saying. Yeah, spirit you animals. Know, you know. That's what we're doing. That's yeah. what we're dealing with. <laughs> oh, sorry. Spirit beasts. Spirit beasts. That's <laughs> yeah, right. No, I just, let's get real accurate here. 
So none of that has to do with what we're talking about this week, but I wanted no. to set you up. That, that's what Daniel's doing. This is our context. So after he gives these really specific prophecies about, okay, this is what's going to happen historically, then he points to the end, this sort of generic, blurry, <laughs> then after that, here's what's going to happen, the, the quote-unquote end times, which are very obscure and sort of hard to – it's my – I guess a mutual professor of ours, Dr. Tim Gray, always described it as a wet bar of soap. Like if you try to, the tighter you try to hold on to these prophecies, it just like slips out of your hand and it flies away, which is a weird image. Yeah, but that's I, what he I, used. I always use those kind of like, like water noodles you, that you get at the grocery store that like are kind of an infinite loop on themselves. They're like, uh, yeah, there's one mom and she, you know, Kay, <laughs> okay, yeah. totally, you know what I mean. You kind of grab it, but do I you? like the wet bar of soap. Are you just being polite or do you know what he's talking about? Oh, he does. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for <laughs> fact checking me, dude. <laughs> Well, we have the, it was the debate last night. We didn't need to fact check. <laughs> All right, so that's what our reading is about. It's about this kind of generic end times. And in chapter 12, it gets blurry. And he says, in those days, this is our reading this week. In those days, I, Daniel, heard the word of the Lord. At that time, at what time? Well, after all of this stuff, basically, once the Messiah comes, once God sort of, so basically what Daniel is told, here's the nutshell. Okay. He's told that the history of humanity is going to go haywire. Everything's going to get crazy. There's going to be bad, cruel rulers and leaders and all sorts of stuff. And then God's going to intervene and he's going to step into human history. Then we get real. And then he says, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, the archangel Michael, right? The guardian of your people. It shall be a time of unsurpassed distress <laughs> since nations began at the time, uh, until that time. At that time, your people shall escape. Everyone who is found in the book, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some shall live forever. Others shall be an everlasting horror or disgrace. This is the first clearest explicit reference to the resurrection of the body in the entire Bible. This is it. At oh. that time, in the quote-unquote end times, after the Messiah comes, when the world starts to fall apart in a real way, those who have died are actually going to rise. Which, which, the good and the bad. Which is interesting because uh, in the, the first verse, it says that the people shall be delivered or they shall be... Um, uh, the, oh, how does the, uh, the NSV... It says that um, uh, they shall escape... Um, uh, no, d yeah. So, yeah. but but it's actually the Greek word is um, hypostatai, hypostatai, which means to be raised up. So you actually oh. have a, a dual reference, but no, none of the translators seems to be willing to actually take that literal term. I know. Oh, that's cool. I didn't, across I the didn't board. see that. So hypostasis, so you'll be delivered. You'll actually be raised up. And then they're, they're like saying, no, this explicit of the body. Interesting. It's, so I think that it's it's actually compound. Well, do you want to hear what's even cooler than that? No. So how do we know when this is all going to take place? How, how do we know when to be looking for this? Well, what Daniel is told right after in the... I, they always end the passage too early. If you were just to read on one more verse in this passage, it ends in, in verse 3. If you read verse 4, what it says is... Where to go? He says, but you, Daniel, shut up these words. Shut up. Shut words. up, Daniel. Shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many will run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. So in other words, here's these visions, here's all the stuff that's going to happen, but you know what, for now, close the book, shut up the vision, don't even worry about it. You'll know when the time has come. It's fascinating, it yeah. basically says, shut the book for now. That passage, that warning, that, that um, charge from God is reversed. Does anyone know where? Do you know where? Um, uh, Revelation? Yeah. Yeah, when, when the uh, testifier, when the lamb is presented, right? Well, sort of. It's actually at the very end of the book of Revelation. You get the same imagery again. 
Oh. At the end of Revelation, it's in chapter 22, the last chapter in verse 10, says the angel said to John, do not seal up the words of this prophecy for this book, for now the time is near. Oh. So way back in Daniel, he's told, seal up all these prophecies. In the book of Revelation, the angel says, okay, it's time to open them up because the time is here. Now, we talked about Revelation, I think, last week. Yeah. Revelation's about a lot of things. It is kind of about the end of time and what to look for in spiritual realities that are going on, you know, outside of what we can see. But on a very real level, they're talking about what Jesus did on the cross. And when we look at this man hanging on a cross, on a spiritual level, there's this whole other reality with beasts and angels and archangels and fights and wars and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. So this image we get of Revelation saying, this is what's going on in the person of Jesus Christ and around him. At the end of the book, it says, open the book now. Let us know. The time is now arrived. Yeah. So in other words, this time that Daniel was talking about of people rising from the dead, guess what? It's, it's here. on. How do we know? Because we were told to look at it because Jesus rose from the dead. There's yeah, a body like, rising from the dead, right? Yeah, yeah. Jesus has risen. Well, not only just Jesus' body, we always seem to neglect the fact that when there's an earthquake, <laughs> that a bunch of other people were raised up just like by in blast zone. I'm Jesus. pretty sure you just said whenever there's an earthquake. Is that what you said? Well, well it's when not the, every earthquake. No, no. There's <laughs> bodies that come out. Whenever there is an earthquake, thou shalt see. How many bodies on the Richter scale have yeah. risen from the. That's Dude, getting creepy and morbid. That's, no, that's on. really cool, actually. Yeah, and Oklahoma seems to be the world center for our earthquakes. I just yeah. read today. So oh. word, out to, word out to those Oklahomans. So, Oklahomanians? How do you say it? Oklahomanians. Oklahomanians. <laughs> Let's go with that. Okay. Um, but what we're, so it's not, this hasn't happened. Jesus, in, was, Jesus was raised up. And so we can actually see this, this gate, has, the, the, the bars have been broken. Here's the key, though. When we talk about the end times, the end of the world, right? When we talk about the end times, we tend to think, like, if you're standing in line at a grocery store and there's nobody behind you, you're at the end, right? Yeah. That's not what the end times are. For the ancients, the end time was the climactic time. It's not that, okay, we're living in the end times, but guess what, Christians? We've been living in the end times for 2,000 years now, which well, tells you— That's your whole thesis. Well, yeah. I mean, in case my dissertation committee is listening. <laughs> yeah. like it's brilliant. Like, everybody. that is exactly what our, Scott is, is arguing and trying to help help us to understand that's like one of your life missions but that's what nobody understood on the uh, on the front end of prophecies like daniel because they're right. just here oh bodies are going to rise from the dead right what we see is okay one body is risen from the dead is that it and we're told no there's more to come so we've breached into this new age but we haven't seen the fullness of it it's what we sometimes call the already but not yet we're in the end times but it's been the end times for two thousand years and it's going to continue to be the end times, the climactic times, the height of human history for a long time to come. We don't know how long, but literally we're smack in the middle of it. Yeah. I, Which is kind of cool. It's a weird place to be. It is. And, and like, so have some coffee. Well, and I think that we'll this, for a while. this is actually why we're going to be here. So get some coffee at Drogo's, ladies and gentlemen. You might want to get a second refill here. But um, I think that this is exactly why we're, um, we're in a, a moment like... I think that birth is actually a great expression because like birth, you watch a, a woman in labor pains, or at least you'd see it in the movies. I've never been a present for a woman going through labor, but like it's, it's tremendously. Uh, but you were once. I was, I mean, I one was, time. I was actually at present at Only one that birth. one. Yep. Other, anyway. Yeah. But I don't remember it too well. 
I was kind of anesthetized at the time. No, yeah. sorry, that was my mom. Yeah, that was yeah. That, sorry, that was that got weird. Anyway, okay, so um, we should get onto the psalm. Yeah, we should get onto the psalm. But the, I think that uh, that that the end times lasting a very long time mm. is like a really long birth. It's, Fair enough. It's painful, but there's a lot of expectation and hope. Well, you know, the fathers actually use this metaphor about, well, Jesus uses the analogy of childbirth, the birth pangs, right, all that. Mm-hmm. And what the fathers of the church basically concluded was, okay, you've got this sort of hope that's pregnant in the world from the time of original sin, right? We're hoping, we're waiting for this day that God's going to set things right. It's like a birth waiting to happen. And then they said when Jesus steps out of the tomb on Easter Sunday morning, it's like the water broke, which <laughs> is a, once the, when the water breaks in a birth, the birth doesn't come right afterwards. That's when the, 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 the labor pains start. Yep. So if Jesus rising from the dead was like the water breaking, then what we can expect from that time until the birth is complete, the second coming, is a whole lot of pain, a whole lot of tribulation. But not, I mean, if you turn on, I remember, you know, flipping through the channels when I was little and getting the televangelist channels and just yelling about the end of the world. And this is oh, yeah. a big deal. But Tammy Faye, man. the idea was the ship is sinking. Which is wrong. The Catholic idea is the ship is coming back up from the dead. That's why there's all the pain. It's not because the world is crumbling, but the world is actually resurrecting. We're in the middle of it, though, and so we can't see it in its fullness. I kind of have this image in my mind of, like, a cartoon of, like, you know, it took me, you know, like 2,000 years to give you birth and you treat me like this. I don't know. That's that's unformed. That's weird. You know? Okay, sorry. We'll keep working on that. Strike that. that. Edit that one out. Yep. Oh no, this is Can't live. live. Ah, sorry. Now you guys know that I say inappropriate things that are just like don't make sense. Okay. So okay. I think the psalm actually fits you really well. <laughs> Thank you. This is kind of cool. <laughs> not, maybe not with that. Okay. Oh. <laughs> so it begins by saying, "You are my inheritance, O Lord. O Lord, uh, my allotted portion and cup is you who hold fast my lot. I set my face ever before me. My heart is glad. My soul rejoices. My body too." abides in confidence. And what the, the, the Hebrew literally means is my body literally abides in confidence. It's actually bringing the body into this because sometimes we as Christians tend to over-spiritualize um, the reality of what Christ has done and forget about the fact that, you know, it, we, we become pseudo-Gnostics. And the Gnostics were the ones who were like, spiritual stuff good, physical stuff, bodily stuff bad. Which I think is funny for a sacramental people. Well, who, right. Like, like the, the reality is, is that is that we receive communion, we have baptism, we use oil. This is yep. like, this is real. We actually have to talk to each other eyeball to eyeball. Like, you, you cannot just <laughs> Skype confession. Yeah, we were eyeball to eyeball. Yeah, yeah, that was awkward. Um, here's what's really cool about this. So this, this psalm is clearly speaking about what's going on here. And the thing about the psalm, two things about it. All of the stuff that it's saying about my body will abide in confidence, you will not suffer your faithful one to undergo, you will not abandon us or suffer us to undergo corruption, you will show me the path of life. All of it is put in the future tense. It's going to happen. Because as when, and this is believed to have been written by David, King David is writing this with the hope that someday in the future all this is going to happen, but it hasn't yet. Which is why historically speaking, the church has always read this psalm on Holy Saturday. The day that Christ is now in the tomb, we're waiting. We hope he's going to rise. We trust that this isn't the end. Yeah. We're looking forward to it. Now, what's even more cool about this, do you know where this psalm shows up in the New Testament? Ooh, I do not know where this shows up in the New Testament. Anybody out there know? Do you guys know? This, this is, is psalm really 16? cool. You could Google it real, real quick. Don't. I do that a lot when he asks me <laughs> questions, and I can sound really smart after Googling it. 
So it shows up in Peter's speech at Pentecost. Oh. When the church is basically born and Peter steps out into the world and begins to proclaim and everyone hears the gospel message in their own language, he speaks this psalm and he begins to recite it, basically saying, hey, this thing that we've all been waiting for, the body raising from the dead, not being abandoned, all this stuff, now it's on. It has begun. It has started. I actually want to quote what he says. Um, so he quotes this psalm, he reads it, and then he says, this is what Peter says, he says, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you about our patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried. His tomb is with us. We know where the tomb is. David's dead. He wrote this, great guy, good king. He's dead. We know where his tomb is. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on David's throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has now raised up, and we're all witnesses. All the stuff that Daniel talked about, all the stuff that David wrote about in his Psalms, now is the moment Peter stands up and tells, what is it, 3,000 people standing there. He's like, now it's been breached. It's begun. Now we can live it, which is cool. That's really cool. It's a cool. cool moment for the Psalm to show up. And I like the fact that we get to talk to at least three times what Peter got to on Pentecost. I mean, just right now. Boom. 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 So we are just echoers. But isn't it Catechists, cool, but isn't it cool that as we're approaching Advent, which is the moment we prepare for Christ becoming incarnate in the world, and all the readings point toward the supposed end, what they're actually speaking of is the beginning. The end, it, within these, these readings about the supposed end, is dormantly lying the beginning. That's why the church reads this psalm on Saturdays, because it's this moment that looks like the end, but it's actually about to be the beginning. That's this awesome. moment of Advent, we read about the end, but we know it's actually pointing toward the beginning, because Christ is about to be born. At, the, at one of the darkest moments in human history, Christ yeah. is about to bring the light. Dude, you, you're, you got a lot, like, you, you've loaded the first reading, you've loaded the psalm. Let's get to Hebrews, because I'm really looking forward for this gun to go off, because you've got some ideas go brewing something in I there. kind of said them all. Oh. No, that's good. There's more. I'll think of some more. Okay. Hebrews. Um, no, we're just bringing it together. That's, how, that's the whole thing. In case you're wondering, what we do is we bring it together, <laughs> or the Holy Spirit does, because we don't know how to bring it together quite yet. That's true. Well, Hebrews is cool. We've been, we've been chugging along through Hebrews. We've been in chapter 10 for the last couple of weeks. Remember, Hebrews, it's written to this audience, probably Jewish Christians. They've become believers, but because of what's going on, I mean, if you remember what's going on in Judea after Jesus ascended, everybody's preparing to go to war against Rome. And all of the Jewish people who believe in Jesus, they know Jesus said pretty explicitly, hey, don't fight this war. When you see the war coming, run to the mountains, flee to the hills. And if, I mean, imagine being in that context when your whole family, yeah. your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, they're all getting ready to fight for, for the name of God and his holy city. And you're like, I'm going to be out of here, though. When you start, I'm going to go to the mountains to my house. It, it would be, it would be, mean, like, it'd be like you're in the, uh, the, the book, The Stand, and you were in Boulder, and everything is starting to come at you, and all the good people are here. And then you're like, dude, I got to bail on Boulder. Man, that's this exactly what I'm saying. This has already been happening. You know, like there is a meditation for this. It's Stephen King, thank you. It's a stretch. Boulder was all, where all the good people went. Down. Exactly. That was the light. That's exactly right. I mean, but but like that's what they are thinking. That's how they perceive themselves. They're saying like we're the good people, and you're like, what are you doing? We are the that's right, fair. just ones, and you're bailing on us. You're part of the bad people. As a we're side note, take a stand. As a side note, so you obviously know the stand. Since I was little, the Eisenhower Tunnel has always horrified me. <laughs> because of reading the book The Stand when I was young. If you guys have read The Stand by Stephen King, 
Eisenhower Tunnel always horrifies me. Anyway, oh, anyway. I'll let you figure out why. <laughs> um, so, that, so this is what Hebrews, so Hebrews is basically making this case. Look, you can't throw in the towel. I know it's hard. I know there's a lot of pressure. I know everybody wants you to, you know, and, and not to mention, even with your, your family members, your coworkers probably think you're a chump for being ready to bail. On top of that, you're like, well, okay, the apostles say that Jesus is my high priest, but I don't know exactly where he is. He took off into heaven like a rocket, I guess. And there's Caiaphas is over there and Jesus is the temple, but that's the temple. I mean, I imagine if you're in the first days of the Christians, this is, it's confusing to be a Christian 2000 years later. Imagine being the first people to have to figure this stuff out. And you're like, what? I know. So, it's like, it's really intense. So he's writing this, literally he calls it a word of exhortation, the Hebrews, of saying, look, if you realized what you've entered into, if you really got that, you'd never throw in the towel. You'd never be willing to go back. And so he's in, in chapter 10, he's juxtaposing the priesthood. He's saying, here's what the Levitical priest can offer you. Fine. Here's what Jesus as high priest offers you. What is a priest? A priest is the intermediary, intermediary between God and humans. Jesus is God and human. There's no better high priest. And in our reading this week, he says, okay, here's another aspect. Every priest stands daily at his ministry. He offers sacrifices, frequently those sacrifices that can never take away sins. But this one offered one sacrifice for sins and took his heat forever at the right hand of God. And now he wakes until his enemies are made his footstool. Um, talks about sacrifices. So if you're, if you're a first century Jew, you know that all the priests every day go into the temple. They, they, Sorry for those of you who are eating, but I mean, they're slaughtering cows, they're slaughtering goats, they're cutting off heads. It's just a, they're, it's they're, a bloodbath. They're, they're, yeah, it's a bloodbath, and there's roasting, and it's, it's, like, it's like a butchery and a roastery and all this stuff, and the stuff's getting burnt. Maybe and you shouldn't use the roastery in the new coffee shop. No, we do not include sacrifices in the coffee. <laughs> but, and here's where Hebrews can sound misleading. It says they don't, they don't forgive sins. They don't take away sins. The Old Testament sacrifice, they do believe that they forgave sins. That, that was, it was real. God commanded, I mean, God, God's not just making them go through the motions. It actually did something when the priest offered the sacrifice. What this means, though, is that it doesn't hold. It doesn't last. I mean, you can go and you can have a priest offer your animal and sacrifice and you could be forgiven for whatever it is you've done, but it's not going to help you to not do that thing the next time. It's not going to give you the grace to actually be the people we're supposed to be. It can wipe some stuff off the books, fine. It's like a speeding ticket that the judge can take off, but it's not going to help you to not speed next time, right? And he's saying what well, this sacrifice of Jesus, it's not blood. The blood was once for all. It doesn't continue. We don't keep doing it again and again. It's one time, it's done, and it is eternal. And it will give you the power to actually be the people that Peter at Pentecost told you you're able to be now. That the Psalms have been pointing toward this capacity that Daniel has said, look at what you can be. And Hebrews is saying, now here's how. Here's the means. And one last thing. Yes, absolutely. The, juxt the other juxtaposition that I think is cool, it talks about the priests standing to offer sacrifice. Jesus came and sat at the right hand of God. In the Jewish mind, that's significant. Priests standing, that's what you did when you were a priest offering sacrifice. That's how you minister. When does a priest sit? At the end of Mass. When it's done. It's complete. So here's the priest. They're standing. They're still doing stuff. They're rushing through. And here's Jesus. Now he's sitting. That implies it's done. It's complete. It's over. No more blood. 
No more animals, no more bloodbath, no more suffering. You're good now. Well, and, and I think I, I think it's really important too for the Hebrews because they're gonna have the the notion of Zakar. They're gonna understand that one actually ha- does have access to the eternal in a way that becomes present because of how they're approaching Passover. Yeah. It's it's a continual thing. So it's it's just something that that I, I think it's important to remember that 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 concept is actually embedded for them. Oh, totally. Which gets us into the gospel. The gospel, which um. Uh, it, it, the, it starts off and it says, in those days after that tribulation. Yeah. And, and I don't know if you guys have the same, the, the same experience with the word tribulation, but as soon as I hear tribulation, I, I don't know, it just has like all of these weird cultural connotations that like the tribulation is like the last throws, like what we've been talking about in this podcast, that it's all over. Like that basically the tribulation is basically when everything goes so chaotic that, that like the bombs are going off, take shelter because Jesus is coming. Like that's like a basically Jeez. like that's what, wow. what the experience is culturally. Isn't that? I mean, sure. is, do you yeah. have that idea in yeah. your mind? I, they're all nodding no, up yeah, there. Yeah, they're, You're weird. Cool. I no don't one. Know. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm totally with you. Yeah, and I so I was only half listening. So, so now, so now we have this this expression of the sun being darkened and the moon is is going away and the stars are going to fall from heaven, which, and the powers will be shaken, and which the, is not unique to Mark. No, it's it actually shows up in the Old Testament. It's an idiom. It is. is What'd you it, call me? An idiom. <laughs> ah. So, like, thanks for the pity laughs. <laughs> oh, dude, that's all we can give you right now. Oh, see how loud that made everybody laugh. It's an idiom. Tell us more about idioms. I love you. What is an idiom, Father Peter? An idiom. Well, this idiom is it's a a poetic way to say something that is a concept that everybody kind of generally understands. It's raining cats and dogs. It's raining cats and dogs. You know, like I I can't put my finger on it. The jackhammer was an earth shattering event. Earth shattering. The invention of the jackhammer. The invention of the jackhammer. I misworded that. You know, or, yeah. or, or when my dog died, it was an earth shattering event. Right. You know, like we can say those. And, and so, th- so that idiot, so in a certain sense, that's actually what we're meaning and what Mark is actually talking about when he says this tribulation and the sun and the moon and the stars, the cosmos, the order that you're used to everything being in is going to be obliterated and you're going to experience a new order. But do you know And not where, just the 80s band. Do you know where that idiom shows up in the Old Testament? To my knowledge, the idioms about the, the stars falling from the sky, the moon turning dark, all that kind of stuff, yeah. that specific idiom shows up at least three times in the Old Testament. Do you know what the context is? Um, it's fascinating. I want to know. You're my context man. Destruction of foreign nations who are the enemies of God's people. Oh. So there's a, a prophecy in Isaiah about Israel, I mean, Egypt and Pharaoh will be destroyed. And when it is, it'll be like the sun turned dark and the star, stars fell from the sky. Basically, your world will be flipped upside down. Babylon is described that way. Yep. Pharaoh himself is described that way at one point. Who is Jesus talking about? Who is he speaking to? Israel and... and His own people. Now, yeah. some people made the mistake over the history of this being anti-Semitic. And he, Jesus, hates the Jews. No, he doesn't. He is a Jew. He's talking about... We need to look at ourselves. We have become 
the enemies of God's people. We have done these things. He has just finished giving a speech as to why the temple has become a den of robbers and thieves. This building that was supposed to be the light of the world, the city on a hill, that people should look at and be like, oh, I want to be drawn into that family. They've put barbed wire fences around it, essentially. Well, and, and that's where, I mean, we were looking to last week with the two temple, the, the widow's might. She's yeah. giving it to the yeah, temple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're now experiencing, Jesus saying in the, in the beginning of chapter 13, so we're in the 24th verse of 13. Beginning of 13, he's saying, there's not going to be, there's going to be a moment when there is not going to be a stone that stands one on top of each other. And it, right. while, all, while all the apostles are like, it's beautiful. I love it. Look at all the precious niceness. Right. They're like, oh man, it's carved so nice. And he's like, this thing's going away. <laughs> it's going to blow up. Everybody's like, dude, you're really no fun at a party, dude. No, I'm just no, saying like, you no know, fun at a party. like <laughs> he just, so he prophesies directly against this. Yes. And, and so now they're like, well, what sign is going to actually help us to understand right. how this is actually going to end up well, taking place? Well, they literally say, they get it. And they're like, okay, when is this going to happen? Right. And what should we look for? What sign, like you said? Exactly. And so it's not till 24 till we start to actually understand what the signs are. And that's, that's the, the, the context of this passage in, in, in Mark is essential for us to understand what he's yeah. actually trying to accomplish. Because most of the time we think that it's Nostradamus here or Nosferatu yeah. or whatever, you know, like, oh, sorry. <laughs> That's they're different. Right. Um, Nostradamus. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like oh, if we just look precisely into this, yeah. then we're going to be able to extract the the the, right. the the essence of when everything's going away. It's like the bar of soap. Like Don't the bar of soap, Ex- or that weird thing that you and Kate Schmidt. Yeah, <laughs> the, 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 the like thingy. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how to describe well, it. Well, ironically, it says when they and then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. That's a direct quote from the Book of Daniel. Yes. So we're bringing Daniel into this. But what what he says, which I, I was having a conversation with, uh, who was I talking? Oh, I was talking to Ryan Ward, one of our students. He was asking about the fig tree because what it says here in the reading, he says, "Learn a lesson from the fig tree." Just before this, I think in the previous chapter and a half, he, we had the cursing of the fig tree. Remember that? Oh, weird, yeah. That weird scene. Jesus shows up in Jerusalem with his, with his disciples. They're walking. He says, Jesus is hungry. They see this fig tree. It says a fig tree and leaf. Jesus walks up. He's like, great. I feel like a fig this morning. But and it's, he, it's there's not, no fig. It's not a cookie. It's a fig Newton. Well done. Yeah. But he sees this fig tree and he's like, may no one ever eat fruit from you again, cursed fig tree. And you're like, Jesus. I, I know. It's the, take it's, it easy. It's the most over, to, over the top response it's I've absurd. seen in all of scripture. He's like, he's like, I mean, like he's almost like using like a, a force zapping on it, you know? And the apostles are probably just like, they're just standing, and it says the apostles heard it. That's all that Mark tells you. They're like, oh, man, <laughs> they're like, this isn't going to be a good day. Dude, when your master is, like, going over the tree and, like, cursing a tree, like, t- times of weird, you know, like, you're just going to experience that weird. Not to mention that Jesus is the God of the universe who created the season, so he should know. He shouldn't be that upset. It's his tree. <laughs> but then, and then a, a, about a chapter later, you get them showing back up. And the apostles look and they're like, oh, look, the fig tree that you just cursed this morning is now dead and withered and gone. And they're like, oh, what's going on? So I, I had a student who was asking me about this. This is, we talked last week about Mark and sandwiches. Remember that? Yep. The idea of intercalation. Mark will take two parallel ideas sometimes, sandwich them together with something really profound in the middle. This is the fig tree sandwich. So at the beginning, you have the story <laughs> about a fig tree. And what's interesting, if you remember the story, it says there was a fig tree in leaf. So, so you're really saying is that this is a fig Newton. Let's be honest. Yes, I'm you saying know it's what I mean? a fig like, Newton. Like, yeah, like yeah, this yeah, is yeah. it. You know? Enough with the fig Newton. <laughs> no, it is. 
Yeah. Okay, good. Which is kind of a sandwich. It is kind of a sandwich. sandwich. Yeah, I was just looking at it in my mind's eye. No, I had to to imagine it. Yeah, you're right. No, you were right to think that. Okay, so you got this fig tree. It's in leaf. But actually, then Mark tells you, but it was not the season for figs. And if you didn't already think Jesus was going crazy for flipping out on a tree, it says, oh, by the way, it's not fig season. And you're like, shouldn't Jesus know that? Not only being the God of the universe, but he's just, he lives in the Middle East. Yeah, he's grown up around this. So, which is weird. And then he curses it, flips out. Then he goes, he pronounces a curse on the temple. And he says, this temple is going to be destroyed. Then they go back and they're like, oh, shoot, the fig tree's gone. What happened? So here's the thing. Here's the catch. The fig tree, number one, In the Old Testament, the fig tree is always a metaphor for the people of God. It's an image for Jerusalem, for the temple, for Israel herself. So here's Jesus. It says it was a fig tree in leaf. Even though it's not the season for figs, the fig tree was blooming. And horticulturally speaking, Uh. if a fig tree is blooming, that's a sign that the fig tree should have figs. So when there's blossoms, it's saying, the tree is saying, hey, I'm bearing figs now. So what we're seeing is not, it doesn't have to do with it not being the season. It says, the fig tree is saying, I'm bearing fruit, but it's a lie. It's looking like it's bearing fruit, but it's actually not bearing any fruit. Then he goes to the temple and he says, look, you guys have made a big deal of yourselves. You've got great, beautiful buildings. You're doing all these things, but you're empty whitewashed tombs. You are not bearing fruit. You're keeping people out. You are going to be destroyed. It's not about the fig tree. The fig tree is a oh. metaphor for the temple and what it's become and how it looks like this big, grandiose, wonderful thing, which, but it's bringing death. Which is precisely what the apostles were saying at the beginning of chapter 13. Look, it's wonderful. This is beautiful. Isn't this the, fruitful? It's the exact same words that they use for the fig tree. The only two times that that exact phraseology shows up is, look, master, the fig tree, and look, master, the beautiful buildings of the temple. Oh, Mark. (laughs) Mark. But again, what's the point of this for us? The point is that the end times stuff and what Jesus wants us to learn, it's not about the end. Yes, the temple is going to pass away. Why? For the sake and to make room for the greater temple of his body and the church. Why is the fig tree going to pass away? Because it doesn't belong there anymore. Not because it's done, but there's a new fruitfulness that's going to be born. It's interesting what Jesus says. We always read this and we're like, oh, it's about the end of the world. It's really not about the end of the world. It's about the beginning of the age to come. What he says is, uh, he says, this generation will not pass away until all this stuff has taken place. And in the Jewish mindset, what's a generation? 40 years? It's exactly 40 years. Why? Why 40? Uh, because that's how long they were in the desert. Yeah. And it, it, 40 years they endured this generation, and they are people whose hearts go astray, and they do not know my way, so I swore in my anger they shall not enter into my rest. Boom. But for us, you know, generation is kind of a generic term. For the Jews, it's 40 years. What year is it? How? Yeah, about what year is it when this is taking place? About 30. It's about 30, 30 33. When is the temple destroyed? 70. How many years in between? 40. 40 years. I mean, he's literal about about what's going on, right? Um, Later on, or maybe it's before this, and we talked about this a minute ago, this this is what the Jewish Christians are dealing with. He says, when you see all this happening and when you see wars and rumors of wars and armies on the horizon headed toward Jerusalem, you are to flee to the mountains, right? Head to the hills. We have historical records. I think this is amazing. Josephus. Historically speaking, Josephus tells us there was not one Christian killed in the siege of Jerusalem. Which, which by not the one. Which, by the way, if if you've ever tried to read Josephus like I did this morning, oh, man. it's really not easy. No, he's like, not. Like, just read a commentary. Speaking of or not fun at a party. Yeah, dude, Josephus, Josephus. is not fun at a party. Woo. But do you know where all the Christians were? 
Uh, in the hills. They were in a place called Pella, which is a little refuge they built in the hills, in the mountains. Isn't, that a, isn't that a window company? Yeah. Weird. I don't have any more to say about <laughs> that. Yes, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, just making it. It's just a so, associate. And they discovered all these like underground tunnels that they built to because they knew. So we read this and we're like, oh, Jesus is weird and obscure and end of the worldy. Nobody who was listening to him thought that. They knew, okay, it's going to be within 40 years, and when we see it, we run to the mountains. And Hold that's on. where they were. So what you're saying is that they, in their bodies, went into the earth, and then when everything was done, they oh, came back out out of Pella? Boom. So that it was actually, there is both approximate and a remote fulfillment of, wow. of bodies rising from the earth. How long have you been sitting on that? Not just about one second. Wow. It just, well that was That was fresh. That was hot off of my brain. <laughs> <laughs> Hot off the brain presses. Which is, which, which is, is cool. Which is so beautiful because what we're seeing is that the end of the age actually has, like the, the final times, both has a resurrection in the midst of it, but at the end of it. So, yeah. that, so that as we're looking, the, 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 the temple of God, Jesus Christ's body, which is really the true temple, is now has the emphasis. And, yes. and, and the, the, the Christian people, we are the body of Christ. That is a very real way. And, and yeah. that body of Christ is a fleshly one. Yes. We actually exist in, in the body in right. this way. And, like, and that's how we're living. So yeah. I, I just, I just want to say that like, we, we, uh, we saw this destruction. We saw this um, movement from something so centralized that it was inaccessible for a worldwide blessing, that we yeah. ac actually now exist in worldwide blessing as, as the body of Christ. Yeah. And that, um, that now, like, and th that's why we enter into the sacrifice of Christ, that Hebrews, this once for all sacrifice, and that's how we're actually set free. And that's, that's why that um, when, the, when Daniel has this vision of all of us, you know, it, what does it say? That at that time, your people shall be raised up. Everyone mm -hmm. whose name shall be found in the written of the book, the bodies and the earth is going to quake and all these things like, no, this is actually real now and will be real in the future in, in a in approximate way. We don't have to worry about the end of the world because we're already living it and we're already raised right. up. We, right. We've already died with Christ, so everything else is gain now. Right. It just doesn't feel like it yet. Yeah. But it will. And yeah. and, and, and and this this line, but at the, the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Mm. Nobody knows when we will be raised up. You can't predict that in your evangelical life. Except that one preacher in the Midwest, remember him? Oh, yeah, he yeah, knew. yeah, he did know. Actually, he, he has mistaken. to recalculate a yeah. few times, you know what I mean? That, He'll get there. That's the problem with the tribulation. <laughs> that's the problem. <laughs> is that, yeah. is that uh, w when the baby's going to come, the mother knows not. But she is in labor and, and uh, cries out in anguish until it is complete. Maybe if we ate more spicy burritos, the coming of Christ will come quicker. Midwifery. Does, oh boy. Do, do we call that burrito midwifery? I think so. Okay, very good. Well, I don't know if we could cap anything better than that. I really, don't think so. like so. Um, the sisters of life said that they might show up, but they didn't. I see they them didn't. wandering. Oh, around okay, very good. Yeah. So we but made. We, we do give a shout out to the sisters of life who are we, awesome. Yeah, we uh, we made it to their table reading. We're actually monastic table reading, which is really kind of disturbing Horrifying. for my soul. Um, so and we're and, sorry, and, sisters. And I'm very happy at the same time, too. Like, that's kind of weird. This is a very contemporary age. So thank you, guys. Thank you for being here with us. Thanks for listening and um, being so attentive during this. And, and for the other people who sat in here and did homework while they, they listened. Actually, Absolutely. it made me feel very good. I actually oh, yeah, liked it. Like, good. It relaxed me. We're doing homework, too. We're doing homework, too. All right. We'll be back next week, everybody. Uh, thank you all for being here. And we'll see you then. God bless you.